Let's go ahead and read God's word and we'll pray and get into the sermon. Amen. All right. Is it up there? John 4. Now, it's, it's, it's John 1 through 42, but of course I'm not going to read the entire thing. I'll just read a portion of it um, and we'll go through the rest of it in the sermon, okay? So John 4. One, we're going to look at just 1 through 15. I'm just going to read 1 through 15 for the portion. And it reads, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. But he had to pass through Samaria. So we came to a town called Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, weary as he was from the journey, sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me something to drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Excuse me, a woman of Samaria. For the Jews have not dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who is that is saying to you, Give me a drink? you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw the water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will, be, will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you, Lord, today, Lord. I want to thank you, Lord, because I don't deserve today. We don't deserve today, Lord, but it's by your grace and mercy that we're able to see today. Lord, I'm not worthy to be behind this holy podium, Lord, to preach your word, Lord, but I ask you, Lord, that you do use me in all my brokenness, Lord, to preach your word so that I may decrease, so that you may increase, Lord. Be with all that are here, Lord, and those that are not, Lord, and those who are on Facebook Live, Lord, that you would open their hearts. Your Holy Spirit will come and open their hearts to your word so that they will grow in you and those who don't know you, that they will come to know you. In your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. So, we you know, we're going through the whatever 
uh, series in Philippians, and today it is whatever is commendable. So this word commendable simply means well-spoken of. That's all it means, well-spoken of. Now, in the sermon, I use both commendable and well-spoken of interchangeably in the sermon, you know, because a lot of us don't say, man, that is pretty commendable of you. Yeah, we don't, people don't talk like that. We say, hey, man, that, that's pretty cool. So in the sermon, we're going to use it sort of in different ways where I think it fits. Because no one ever says either, man, I heard that you are well-spoken of. You know, no, it's so, so, you know, we're going to look at it, but I want you to get to understand that being commendable means to be something that is well spoken of. Let's look at Philippians 4.8. I want you to look at this. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is uh, lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So when Paul is saying, think about these things, there is an intention that there is something that if something isn't true, if something isn't honorable, if something isn't just pure or lovely or commendable, et cetera, et cetera, we should not think of those things that do not glorify the Lord. Does that make sense? Let me give you an example. Go to this, uh, this picture I have up here. Uh, I grew up um, me and my brothers grew up in the era of gangster rap. You know, we grew up with Tupac, with Biggie, the notorious B.I.G., with Snoop, Dr. Dre, Wu-Tang Clan, the Killer Bees, if you know about that, and the late DMX. Now, now I don't, you know, I might offend some folk here, but this is the real hip-hop artist here. This was when it was real. Now, somebody might be like, nah, man, nah, 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 these guys, are, nah, nah, this is when hip-hop was real. I don't know who y'all got today, but I'm trying. You know, you know, you, 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 at this time you had, you know, Death Row Records was big. You know, you had East Coast, West Coast feud. You got brothers on the East Coast saying West Side, you know. And, you know, you got brothers like me and my older brother who, you know, knew nothing about the gangster lifestyle or nothing. We listened to Tupac. My brother loved Snoop. You know, my other brother, he loved Tupac. He was a Tupac, but I was a Biggie fan. That was my boy. He was a lyricist, right? And I also loved DMX. You know, so yeah, we, we used to jam to all of that. You know, and to us, these hip-hop artists were well-spoken of. You couldn't talk bad about Biggie. You can talk bad about Tupac. Nah, 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 these guys are real. That's how we would say it. But my father, being an older man in our minds, you know, to him, they were not well spoken of. We, we, it was funny because we would have a joke in our house that we're going to buy our father for Christmas a Snoop and Tupac album. And we would joke about it. He hates Tupac and Snoop. He can't stand them. If he sees them in a movie, he'll say, mm -mm, I don't want to watch it. If he sees them on a book, he would actually take books and albums of them and put them out in the garage or throw it in the trash and come to us and say, I saw that magazine that had Tupac on it. No, we don't do that. I thought he was just being an old man who don't know. He don't know. 
the way we do it, man. This how this is this is this is our rap, man. Go back to your old music. That's what we thought. But later, we begin to understand why my father didn't like them, especially when we came fathers and husbands. He, see, see, my father. We begin to understand that my father was saying that, guys, these men objectify women. They tend to glorify the criminal life. And he even gave us a shout out. He's like, I know some of these guys have struggles and different things, and I know trying, but they're not commendable. Think on things that are commendable. My father, he, he said, they did nothing great. They weren't about life, nor, nor were they truly worried about the salvation of the black community. To my father, these guys just were not, again, not commendable. In this text, we'll find out that, that this woman spoke of things that were not truly commendable. She focused on, uh, uh, she focused on things that were not great, were not life-bringing, or anything that brought salvation. But she will learn that Christ was more well-spoken of because we will learn that Jesus is, he is greater. That's the first point. He is greater. He is life and life-bringing. He is the Savior. Let's look at he is greater. John 4, 4 through 12. Now, if you know your history, Jews and Samaritans didn't get along for centuries. And it, it sort of began when uh, 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 the, the, the kingdom, the, the Israeli kingdom, during the time after Solomon, split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, which was called Israel, was conquered by the Assyrians. Okay? This is sort of some history stuff. I know some of you hate history. I love it. I love history, okay? But, but this is what happened. Okay? So the Assyrians came in, conquered the northern kingdom, and mixed with the Jews. And they even took on the Jewish religion. Now, they even renamed the northern kingdom Samaria. While Judah, the southern kingdom of Jews, were exiled to Babylon, and when they came back, these specific Jews believed that they were the pure, the true Jewish people. And we want nothing to do with those half-breed Samaritans. That's how they fought. So did the Samaritans. They, both of their mindsets were messed up. Now, this is, let me say this, Jews would even avoid Samaria. You know, they would take the long route around Samaria and instead of the short route through Samaria. This is why it said Jesus had to pass through Samaria. See, so basically they would take the interstate instead of the service road. You know, now, because of this very rich divide, Jesus, being a Jewish rabbi, is breaking a thousand strict cultural barriers here. There's a lot that is being broken here. First of all, let's go through a couple of them. First of all, you're a rabbi. You don't go through Samaria. We don't do that. You being a rabbi, you don't chill at the well alone with a woman, especially a Samaritan woman. See, Jews believe that Samaritan—now, this is, this is really hard, right? Jews believe that Samaritan women were born unclean. And so this was like a no-no. Not only that, wells are known to be the hookup spot. 
See, we all have a, had a hookup. We all know a hookup spot, you know, when we were growing up. Yeah, you see that place over there, that, 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 that behind the woods? That's where it, it was a hookup spot to meet your wife or your husband. That's what it was known for. And what is Jesus doing at the hookup spot? He's trying to get more than water. But, but not only that, another one is this woman being alone at the sixth hour, which is 12 p.m., walking to the well is a cultural normal. We're going to get back to that later, though. And we'll even come back to where Jesus is giving her living water. But I want us to focus on verse 12. Go to verse 12, if you can. See, to this woman, Jesus might have been challenging her standard by saying, hey, you know, you know hey, I'm giving you living water. And, and, and so this woman is like, wait a minute. It seems like you're challenging my standard that seems to be greater or more well-spoken of. So the question, so she questions the authority of Jesus's on a standard that is based in her religious, ethnic, and geographic location. Now remember, Samaritans and Jews don't get along, so she is already most likely on guard. And because this was a well-known commendable standard, who would dare challenge it? even if it means division. Go to this next slide. I, I think it's up there. This book I'm reading is called um, Our Kind of People. Really good book. And I've been reading it, and it's by Lawrence Graham. And this book deals with the upper class, the black bourgeoisie, the elites of the black community following the Civil War during and after Reconstruction. Now, I think this book is great because it expresses African-American pride, wealth, money, dignity, success, status, being triumphant and confident, especially coming out of slaves. Now, this uh, uh, black elite, these black elite groups were comp comprised of doctors, lawyers, preachers, business owners. It also comprised of social groups like Jack and Jill, debutantes, fraternities, sororities, etc. But a major prerequisite to these elite groups was that you had to have very light skin. Almost to the point where people would mistaken you for white. Anyone who was darker than a brown paper bag was not accepted into some of these elitist groups. The author Lawrence Graham recalls a conversation with a woman who was asked the difference between the AKA and the Delta sorority. This is what she said about the Deltas. They were a tad bit darker than us, and they really didn't come from our background. We were daughters of doctors, teachers, dentists, pharmacists, and such. We just came from different worlds. We weren't we, and we weren't like-minded people. And why spend time with people who aren't similar? Of course, they were all quite polite and well-behaved. See, like the Jews and the Samaritans, this elitist group had a standard that seemed to be greater or well-spoken of, a standard that believed that, that, that it was greater because it justified a status and success not only justified success and status, but it actually gave them status, wealth, and, and success. 
But this lifestyle is well spoken of. What else, is, what else could be greater than that? Are there things in our life that are more well spoken of than God? Especially when it challenges our standards based on our education, our ethnicity, our politics, our family, or even our neighborhood. You know, when Latif and I lived in Baltimore, we had a great friend with one family. And I remember, uh, Mitch, I remember him mentioning that if anybody were to leave Sandtown, Baltimore, they are dead to me. So, so when, when Latifah and I decided, hey, we have to leave, he shut us out. Even when we explained that the reason we're leaving is because of what God is doing in our lives, he shut us out. Seven years of friendship. But these things that we speak, of well, speak well of, do they deserve uh, uh, do they deserve to be commended, even if, it, even if it can't bring life? See, Jesus hasn't yet proven to this woman why he is greater. Now think about it. Think about it. Not only is my standard well spoken of, but it actually brings me success. So how is Jesus? What does Jesus have that is offering me something that is more well spoken of than what I already got? This takes me to my second point. He is life and life bringing. I didn't read this, so I'm going to read it. Um, what is I think I have right here? What is up there? What is the next? Go to the next one. 13. I think, am I having? Oh, I'm going to read 16. Sorry, to say, go to 16. All right, it says, Jesus said to her, no, I'm sorry. I am going to read at 13. Forgive me. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give, will, that I give you, give him, will become in him a spring of water welling up in eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Does it go on? Yes, it does. Okay, we'll read it. Fine. It's God's word. It's good. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come, and, and, and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in answering him. You're right in saying, I have no husband. For you had five husbands, and the one you have is not your husband. What have you said is true? The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. So, you know, one, this is what I love. I love, this is what I love about John. He uses phrases and words and scenarios that, 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 that has sometimes dual meanings. For example, when Pastor J.P. preached about Nicodemus meeting Jesus at night, the night in that context does mean time, but it also means the mindset and heart of Nicodemus. So here, living water has a dual meaning. One meaning is that living water is simply flowing water. Fresh water that flows from an unlimited source as opposed to a well that is stagnant, maybe dirty, and has the ability to dry up. The other meaning of living is life. Jesus is offering her a gift of eternal life. The life is, this life is Christ who is living. Living water is active, moving, and has life. And if you look at, if you look at the beginning of this, of this um, 
chapter, in verse 1, and Pastor JP spoke about it last week, the chapter reminds us of why Jesus is gaining more disciples than John. Because John baptism of water isn't living. Only Jesus is and can bring living water. But there is another dual meaning that is played in this text here. It's the well. You see, the well is where you go and get water when you are thirsty, and eventually you will come back to it. But because of the well's significance, it also means her spiritual moral justification and condition. But if this well is well spoken of, then why does she keep coming back to it? Because it is not great enough to bring her from death to life. Now think about this. She's alone. He said we'll come back to it. She is alone going to Jacob's well at 12 p.m. Women in those days didn't travel alone. It wasn't safe. Neither did they go to the well at 12 p.m. because it was like Orangeburg in the summer. It was too hot. So, So women traveled together early in the morning to the well. Again, it was safer and it was more convenient. It is speculated that this woman's sin has her either shunned from the greater, com- greater Samaritan community or because, it, because she, uh, or because she chooses to be alone because of it. Maybe this woman is in an adulterous relationship or she has been married and divorced several times. Now think about it. Jesus changes the subject to discuss what seems to be irrelevant to her question. She asks for living warden. You're talking about my husband. Jesus wants her to know something, wants her to know that, that I know about your sins, that this water you keep coming back to, that, that you and these Samaritans say it's well spoken of. This standard, I'm, he's here to tell you, is it's not enough to bring you the spring of water that is welling up to eternal life. Living water is what can bring her life, not this well, not its significance. You know, when I was a youth pastor in Charlotte, I, I met with a, a council of other youth pastors I, from around the greater Charlotte area. I believe it was a, uh, this group was well-spoken of and commendable. Hey? We, we were able to, dis- we, you know, you know I, I, in my mind I'm thinking, oh yes, this is a group, we, we, could be, we could discuss spiritual matters, we can get into the world, we can discuss our concerns with students, you know, we could cling to one another, lift each other up in Christ. But as I continued to attend these meetings, I found that they were only about doing fun, good programs. Christ never came up in any discussion. As I intend more, I found out that this group of youth leaders didn't believe that Jesus was the only way. The goal for their students was simply to be a good moral student, good moral students. And at one meeting, I publicly confronted that issue saying these students struggle with so much and you're even making them more confused. And when I looked around and said, who's with me? They all held their heads down. You see, this group and the the group's goal were well spoken of, but Jesus, the living water, was not. I never returned to that group. Why do we speak of things that we know, we know it, it either is insufficient or doesn't bring life at all? We praise and cling to things that we know are insufficient, yet we hold on to it believing that one day things will change. Or maybe we are not aware of it. I'm here to tell you that though it is well spoken of, your political standard is not enough. 
Your ethnic standard is not enough. Your family standard is not enough. Your intellectual standard is not enough. Your moral standard of goodness is not enough. These things we speak of well of is not enough to break the hold of sin. Yet we drink that stagnant, dirty, lifeless well water over and over again and have the audacity to speak well of it and say, man, this dirty water tastes good. See, Jesus challenges her standard not only by telling her that he is greater, but by offering her what is great. I can give you something more. I'm not just going to say I'm a greater. I want to give it to you. But more than, but, but more than that, he, he is the Savior. And this is the place where her understanding will come together and she will know above all things that he is commendable. Let's go to our third point. It says right here, it says, The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say that Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship, you, you, will, you, see, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and it is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in the spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who was called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who, I, I who speak to you am he. And you go to verse 28, it says, So the woman left her jar and went into the town and said to the people, Come, see a, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? She didn't yet know that Jesus, who Jesus was, but perceived him. Okay, you're clear you're a prophet. And since he, he was perceived as a, as a Jewish prophet, Again, she, she questions the Jewish belief of proper worship that is bound by location. And for centuries, the Samaritans and Jews argued over this notion. But of course, Jesus corrects her, not saying that the Jews have all the answers, but because of what comes from the Jews who is Jesus, Jews know what they're talking about. And, and thus, the Samaritans didn't have all the information. A lot of it was kept from them. But he tells her that both places of worship will become obsolete because true worship is not bound by location or a specific ethnic group. To know God, to know that God is truly commendable is not bound by location or ethnic group, but is bound by worshiping God in spirit and truth. God is spirit. He is not bound to the material world like an idol. So location is out. Truth is the Holy Spirit giving us the means of having the knowledge and understanding of who God is. The revelation to speak well of, well of God above all things can only come from the spirit of truth. She mentions that the Messiah, the, the coming of the Messiah, and at that moment, Jesus, probably chilling on the edge of the well, says, I am he. All right, that's who I am. And at that moment, the Bible says she left her jar 
I want you to hear that she left her jar and runs into the town and tells the people about Jesus. Now, look, look, pull up this other, this slide. You know, I, I feel bad because we lost the Clemson real bad, you know, yesterday. Well, at least we got three on the board, okay? We got three points. But the, I don't want to talk about the score because that would put us down. No, I'm kidding. But, you know, the band, I'm, now that I'm back on state, I got a chance to visit the band room. If you know the band, the Marching 101, my old alma mater, the band I marched with, they finally got new uniforms. And, uh, you know, throughout the years, you know, I, you know, I, I, it, it, you know I, I love being on the band, the Marching 101. I even joined the band fraternity. It was the excitement, the band family, the attention you commanded, the exhilarating practices, well, not if you're a freshman, but the exhilarating practices, the halftime shows, party hopping with the fraternity brothers. See, this type of hype is like an addictive drug for some. And this drug drew the old heads. Now, the old heads were band alumni who couldn't let go. Now, they were not just visiting and reminiscing. They interfered and imposed their old school glory day ways on other students. You doing this wrong, little young boy. You doing this. And I'm like, oh my gosh, can you go back to work or something? I mean, I'm at school. Where are you supposed to be? You know, these guys would even come to our, uh, our sets, KKSI sets. One dude came with his work clothes. I'm like, you didn't go home to your wife? You know, I, I mean, it was so bad that the late band director, Ronald J. Sargent, my band director, had to address it. And Sarge, little short man, was like pulling up his pants, don't listen to these alumni. Whatever they tell you to do, you don't listen to them. It got that bad. It got so bad that the school had to send a letter to the music department telling if you are not a student, you can't be marching. My, my, my fraternity brother, Ben, and been in school for two years, and he's been marching. His last day of marching, he snuck into the, 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 the room and stole a uniform and marched his last game with a stolen uniform. And when the band director walked by him, he took his hat. And he marching in the game, and I'm looking at Ben. <laughs> I'm like, Ben, at the end of the day, it's time to return. Hey, Joe, man, you can return my uniform? I'm like, nah, man, uh-uh, I ain't getting in trouble for you. But, see, to them, it was well spoken of. But eventually, they had to let go and leave it behind. Now, this woman, if you notice in verse 28, she left her water jar. She had to let it go and leave it behind. She just didn't leave behind her jar. She left behind her pain, her shame, her worries, her insecurities, her emptiness. She didn't just leave them behind, she left them behind with Jesus. You see, we too can leave behind our pain, our shame, our worries, our insecurities, our fears, and our emptiness. At this point, this woman for this woman, Jesus has now become paramount to everything to her in her life that she considered well spoken of. And let me ask you, what do you need to let go? What do you need to leave behind at that well that you keep going back to? 
not just leaving it behind, but at the feet of Jesus. What is that thing? What is that shame? What is that worry? What is that inadequacy? What is that fear? What is that emptiness? What is that thing that you have to leave behind? I love what Jesus says when his, uh, to his disciples who returned. Look at this. It's John 4, 33 through 42. I'm going to read it, so bear with me. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? They returned from town, meeting Jesus at the well. And Jesus said to him, my food is not to do the will of him who sent me, me and to accomplish his work. Excuse me, my food is to do the one. Okay. 35. Do not say that, that, that there are yet four months then comes to harvest. Look, I tell you the truth. Lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering for fruit of eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and reaps, I sent you to reap, and for, for which you do not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into that labor. Many Samaritans, as the Bible says, from town believed in him because the woman's testimony. He told them all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And many more believed because of his word. This whoops, they said to this woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves that we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. The gist of it is Jesus is saying to his disciples is that the mission of the Father is to reap an eternal harvest for the kingdom of God and to make disciples of the nation. Hence, the Samaritans begin to believe. And if you notice something, the woman didn't go back and say, yo, we got to get with the Jews. They got the program. We got to get with their temple. We got to get with that. She didn't talk about all that. She didn't talk about his ethnic supremacy, no worship location. She testifies of him being the Christ. She be he becomes more well-spoken of than anything. She begins to worship him in spirit and in truth. And this worship begins to break down the walls of the vision because again, Jesus becomes more well-spoken of. Jesus is not just well-spoken of simply because he is the Savior, but the Savior that we all, that took all of our sins. Where's my last page? I am missing a page. Go ahead to that next slide. I'll, I'll, break, I'll deal with it. So when I think about uh, the introduction about Christian hip-hop. My mother, being the smartest in the family, of all of us men, I had all brothers, and she went to the cassette store. Now, I want you to hear cassette store. And she picked up this weird thing, this weird thing called Christian rap. And this guy named Stephen Wiley, who was up here, was the first Christian MC. And and we would listen to the, and it was so corny, but we loved it, right? And for a while, we, we, we took a sabbatical away from, not, not, not the right word, we, we, we stepped away from uh, Christian hip-hop during that gangster era, but we eventually, we eventually returned back to Christian hip-hop because we realized that these other guys had nothing to say that was commendable. 
But these other guys who are rapping about Jesus are speaking about something that is more commendable than these guys. And one thing Stephen Wiley says in this song, man, I wish I had my paper. Don't worry about it. You're not going to find his tape anywhere. It's too old, but you can pull it up on YouTube. But one thing I definitely remember him say, that he says, one thing in the song he says, in one of his verses, he says, uh, what, 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 Lord, I'm trying, it's coming to my mind. Give me a minute. He says, um, oh, he says, if the prison doors are open, my friend, and what you, what you doing in jail? Jesus paid your bail. It sounds corny, but I'm like, when I listen to it now, I'm like, that's so true. That Jesus, what am I doing in prison when I can be free? Jesus paid the bail, and he runs down all the books of the Bible. Now, my older brother, who was a pastor, he'll tell you, he learned the books of the Bible because of Stephen Wiley. We learned as growing up, listening to, uh, from the introduction, that my father was right, that they're not saying anything that is well spoken of, but somebody who was greater, who is the life bringer, who is life, who was the savior, is who they were talking about. And that's why he is commendable. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you, Lord, today, Lord. I want to thank you, Lord, for being more commendable, being well-spoken of. I want to thank you, Lord, that you're able to meet us at our well. You meet us where we're broken. You want to come and break every cultural barrier that tells you to stay away. You still step in and meet us where we're broken and shower us with your love and tell us, I got something better for you and I want to give it to you as a gift. Not something we deserve, Lord, but thank you, Lord. Through you, Lord, for teaching and showing us, Lord, as we continue to grow in you and to learn that, there, that you are greater and more well-spoken of than anything in our, in our world, Lord. In the name of the Lord, we pray and we thank you. Amen.